2: Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Did you know, my friends, that blueberries can help you cope with the after effects of trauma, that salami can actually cause us depression, or that boosting vitamin D intake can help treat anxiety? When it comes to our diets, most people's concerns involve weight loss, fitness, cardiac health, and even longevity, which I think are all actual important things to really think about when it comes to our diet. But what we eat really affects more than just our bodies. It affects our brains, our mental health. And recent studies have shown that diet can have a profound impact on our mental health conditions, ranging from ADHD to depression, anxiety, sleep disorders, OCD, dementia, and even beyond that. A triple threat in the food space. My guest today is Dr. Uma Naidu. She's a board certified psychiatrist, nutritional specialist, and professionally trained chef, believe it or not. In her brand new book, This Is Your Brain on Food, she draws on cutting edge research to explain the many ways in which food contributes to our mental health and shows how a sound diet can help treat and prevent a wide range of psychological and cognitive health issues. It's packed with fascinating science, actionable nutritional recommendations, as this conversation is as well, and over 40 delicious brain-healthy recipes. Dr. Uma Naidoo is honestly an incredible human being. I loved speaking with her. And if you have ever struggled with diet this is, your, this is a conversation for you. And even looking at how food or different foods, how that really affects your brain, which in turn contributes to all these mental health diseases. I, for one, am someone, and if you know me, you know that I love my guilty pleasures such as cookies, donuts, you name it, those are really, really my big weaknesses. But I do notice the difference between eating those things and how I feel after them versus, you know, the long-term impacts as well. If I'm constantly eating those unhealthy foods, and I know they're not good for me, they may be okay here and there, but in the reality of things, they're not going to do my mental health or even my physical health any good if I'm consistently eating these types of foods. But I wanted to know during this conversation, what are some other important foods that we can eat apart from blueberries? Because we know that blueberries are kind of like this uh, in crazy superfood, um, but what are some other things aside from blueberries that really do help our brains and contribute to a good mental health? And that's what my guests and I, Dr. Uma Naidu, do talk about during this conversation. So if you do get something from this one, and I have no doubt that you will, please share it around to all your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one because it is an important thing. Diet affects each and every one of us to some extent. The level of that extent, completely up to you. But I want to give you guys the uh, important information or as much information as you possibly can to help you make better decisions when it comes to your diet and your mental health. Uh, Don't forget, my friends, that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. It is now June. Wow. So three months left, (laughs) or or thereabouts, until my book is finally released into the world. So I would love it if you guys could get a copy, pre-order to that. Uh, Link will be in the show notes below too. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to see our brains on food as we journey into the story box today and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than the wonderful and the incredible Dr. Uma Naidu. I'm so excited.
0: to Thanks for inviting me and in. I'm excited to chat today.
2: I'm very much excited to have this conversation with you because like I mentioned a moment ago, food and psychiatry, uh, two things that I love. Uh, I'm not exactly well-versed in both, although I eat a lot (laughs) of food and I like having conversations with people about the brain and science and and that sort of thing. So I think we're going to get on well today. Before we dive further into your, your story and everything like that, my very first question for you is, what does success look like for you?
0: Interesting. Um, so success, I think, is, is an interesting question because I feel like um, for me, I'm, I'm really always challenging myself and I'm not entirely sure that I know that definition or that I would pretend to know it. But for me, it's really been upping my game in whatever I do. So my greatest competitor is myself. And it has, I respect what everyone else is doing. I I love to read and hear what my colleagues are up to. But really, when I do something, the next time I do it, I want to improve myself. And so success for me is really the feeling of joy around being able to put my mission forward around nutritional psychiatry. Because I'm really here to change the conversation um, in our relationship with food. Yeah. And I think that wherever we are in the world, we do need to rethink that um, from whence, you know, our great great grandmothers and grandmothers were to what we're eating right now, I think is different. And I think if we were to just take a step back and not have to feel that we have to eat horrible food or not a food that's not tasty but we can still consume delicious food that's brain healthy. Um, I think that's important. So,
2: Were you always like that? Like the, the person that always wanted to challenge yourself, constantly improve? I think sort of so.
0: I, I, think, I think I came to the world that way. You know, I kind of, I call myself, you call me a triple threat and, and, and I know I have been called that and I, I'm grateful and I'm honored. I, I was also kind of a, a preschool dropout. I refused to go to preschool Um, and I wanted to hang out with my maternal grandmother before school. And this is because I loved her so much and my book is dedicated to her Um, and did not really want to hang out and go to school. So before, you know, regular school, I spent a lot of time with her and I learned kind of natural healthy eating habits from my grandparents without even knowing it. And I would always ask questions and I wanted to know more. So they entertained me. They taught me yoga and meditation and whatever they knew about Ayurveda. And You know, it was just, I was kind of that kid, you know, was asking me questions. But I also was a pretty happy, um, happy to spend the time with them. And, and now I, I look back and I really relish those moments. So, yeah, I guess I was, I was, I was that one asking the questions.
2: I can relate to that because I was very much the same with my grandfather and grandmother. Any excuse Good. I could get to go and see them and spend time with them, I would, Good. yeah, I'd fake being sick sometimes just so my grandparents <laughs> would come over <laughs> and look totally after me. Um, so yeah, I completely understand that side of things. But what did your your grandmother teach you about the importance of food and nutrition?
0: You know, I would watch what she did and I was, I was little, so I was allowed, my mom was in medical school at the time. So during the day I would hang out with grandmother, my, um, and so I'd watch her and, you know, we, we'd, she'd talk to me and engage me in the conversation. So she's cleaning vegetables. She'd show me, you know, obviously I was too little to use in life. So if I could shell peas or, you know, sort through lentils and kind of find the, the, the lentils that we shouldn't use and that type of stuff. She would meet me in that conversation just naturally, because she'd involve me in what she was doing, and I would go with her to the garden and pick fresh vegetables and we'd wash them then we'd, she'd, I'd see her chop the herbs and um, you know cut up the vegetables that we'd just um, plucked so a lot it almost came in a very natural way she wasn't sort of giving me a lesson; she was just teaching me how to live in the world through her journey. And it was very powerful when I think back because it was um, honest and it was simple and it was really eating true whole foods. Um, and so when I think about it, you know, that was what I grew up eating and it was very special to me. And I'll tell you that when I moved to um, study in Boston, it was the first time in my life that I ever ate anything sweet for breakfast because breakfast was always a savory meal. Certainly in the culture I came from, but also it was unusual to be offered a donut, you know, Mm. or or that type of thing. So I think that, you know, those are the things when I think back um, when you acculturate, these are important things to think about because it doesn't always match maybe the best health benefit or maybe what you were doing was actually maybe working. So I just think we need to be mindful all the time
2: where did your grandmother learn the importance of the proper foods, the whole grains, the whole, whole foods?
0: From her, from her mother, from her grandmother, it it was all generational. My grandmother finished most of school and she was a pianist, um, just, just part-time because she enjoyed music. Um, and so she just, it was generationally learned, but as, um, As the generations went by, like her children were mostly physicians, school teachers, um, dentists, so she had a large family. But she really learned that from uh, from her family, and she wanted to pass it on. And I have to tell you, I don't think that it was even that they realized they were passing it on. This was just what they knew. This is how they ate. This is how they lived, and this is what they wanted to show their children. Um, and I think it was you know the industrialization of food that um, certainly started to impact the United States um, when high fructose corn syrup was introduced when um way back when uh frozen meals were introduced it made it made it easier for women to you know heat up a frozen dinner yeah. because they didn 't have to prepare everything from scratch so one of that you know um came along, and i don 't think we always understood the health um, impacts of those things.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like the Western diet where we're too busy to really prepare the right kinds of foods. And as such, it impacts a lot of our health, uh, which is why you, you do talk about in your in your, your book, this is your brain on food. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's diet is one of the most important things and we often take it for granted for whatever reason. It's like this food tastes great, so I'm gonna have more of it. And then we we just we supplement the the good foods, like the nice healthy vegetables for the unhealthy foods because it tastes better. Right. And it's right. I think it should be the, the other way around. We should eat more healthy whole foods rather than the yeah. sugary treats and all that sort of stuff. So it's right. yeah, the Western, Western culture <laughs> needs to change. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, in the U.S., we certainly for, most, for the most part are eating the Western diet. I mean, obviously, parts of the country and obviously some individuals are much more informed than others. But for the most part, a lot of people don't know the difference. So it's really to change that conversation about our relationship with food is to start talking about, um, you know, the fact most people associate those, uh, those foods with being worried about their waistline yeah. or family history of diabetes. Um, but actually, in addition, it affects our brain and it affects our mental health. So that's the nuance that I'm here to share, that, you know, how we eat is how we feel. And unless we start to take that seriously, and it doesn't mean that we have to eat cardboard. You know, I, I'm a chef, I love tasty food. So we, we there their ways like spices, herbs. A squeeze of lemon, a zest of lemon, um, you know, salt, pepper, and the simplest seasonings to make something delicious so that someone feels like eating it. You know, a, um, a pop-top in the U.S. is a favorite mm-hmm. breakfast. <laughs> but it's so it's so full of sugar and highly processed that it's not the ideal ideal choice. So mm-hmm. I think we just need to walk ourselves back from where we find ourselves in this kind of world of convenience foods and fast foods and um, frozen dinners and, and all of those things.
2: Do you believe in the saying that food is medicine?
0: I completely do. Um, as a psychiatrist practicing in mental health, I truly believe food, food is medicine is the next frontier, but it is, does not exclude the need for medications and therapy, yeah. I think it just can be something that logistically. But if more individuals struggling with mental health were thinking about also making these changes, I, I've seen in my clinic how doing everything together can be very powerful.
2: What's the percentage that you've looked at of people that have like depression, anxiety that are a resulted cause of the foods that they're eating?
0: So, you know, I don't think we have exact data on that, but what we do know is that um, the underlying cause of conditions like depression, anxiety, and even cognitive disorders is now in your research thought to be inflammation. And what do we know about inflammation? You know, inflammation, one of the major causes is what we're eating. So, I would say a very large percentage of what we're seeing now can potentially just be impacted. Not necessarily reversed, because with depression and the other conditions, the factors can be multifactorial. So you want to make sure that you um, are treating full condition and excluding any underlying cause. But food is hugely impactful. You know, just eating healthier for your brain is going to impact your mood.
2: Why is food so powerful? Anyway, like for our brain, what, what is it about food that makes up a big impact on our health? So, so it turns out
0: that, you know, newer science, uh, many eons ago, Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, actually made this connection between the brain and the gut. Mm. But science had to follow Jay. And so it turns out that um, newer science, in the last two decades, started to unfold the, the brain and the gut and their connection. And the microbes, the 39 odd trillion that live in the gut microbiome, um, we call it the gut microbiome when we refer to the genetic material with them. And all of the science has now followed in the research. And what it has explained to us is that the brain and the gut, even though they're in different parts of the body, they're connected. They originate from the exact same cells in the human embryo. Then they divide up uh, apart to form the brain and the gut. They remain connected by the 10th cranial nerve, the vagus nerve, which I like to call a text messaging system. Between these two organs, back and forth all day, all night, uh, sending messages that are really important because they're chemical messages. And when we talk about uh, serotonin, the happiness hormone, 90-95% of the receptors and the serotonin are made in the gut. So if you've ever had a friend or family member take Prozac, Zolot names in the United States, which are uh, fluoxetine or sertraline generically, Um, often they might have digestive issues initially, discomfort, nausea, um, and and things like that. And that's because of the location of the receptors uh, and the serotonin. So, all of this really informed us that there's this real connection and that what we eat and the digestive products are important. Because if I'm eating a healthy meal, the breakdown products in digestion are things like short-chain fatty acids, really great benefits to the brain and the body. When I'm eating only fast foods, and that's what, I'm, that's what I'm living on, the breakdown products actually feed the bad microbes. And those breakdown products are more toxic, and they lead to dysbiosis and an imbalance in the gut. So we want to, we want to sort of think about it in simple terms that way. And try to think of how we can eat those healthy old foods that make up really great nutrition for the good microbes in the gut,
2: were you a happy child
0: i like I like to think so i uh, i was I was kind of quiet and studious, but I was always like always smiling and always you know uh either playing with friends or playing with my grandmother or visiting with my uh, uh you know family. I grew up a large extended family. So we had some very happy times.
2: Was it because of what your grandmother showed you that sort of made you want to go into the field of psychiatry and nutritional things like that?
0: You know, I I come from a family of physicians. Um, So my grandmother herself was a physician. Neither was my grandfather. He was a school teacher. But my, um, actually a school principal. But their children, many of them were physicians. So I grew up in an environment where, like when I was hanging out with my grandma, right, my, um, my uncles and aunts would, would, would be visiting during the day. And many of them were either psychiatrists, were medical residents or in training or students. And they'd like play with me. And the big thing I remember was like, my my uncle and my aunt teaching me like how to use stethoscope. And I was like really little. So obviously there's an environmental influence, you know, and I feel like to me, it seemed like the obvious thing to do, to go to medical school. But I think the nuance of really caring about mental health also came from coming from that close-knit family, always speaking to people, always relating to people, and caring about that. So when I went to medical school, I was like, you know, I, I love all of this stuff, but I don't think I'm a surgeon uh, like my younger brother. Uh, I think I'm much more of of this human being, and this is how I want to relate to the world. But, you know, the, the parts about nutrition really came naturally because when I started my interest in mental health, I kept wondering, like, why are we just pulling out a prescription pad or writing a prescription online? Why are we not asking, like, what are you eating do you exercise? Do you spend time outdoors? Do you drink enough water? What, like, what are you doing? Do you practice mindfulness? You know, not everyone meditates, but maybe a mindfulness practice, deep breathing. Um, and I just found that to be a huge gap in the conversation. And I began to ask the questions. So it was sort of a journey for me, but I would say that a lot of those roots, Jay, were in, in my childhood.
2: I I think, yeah, for me growing up you know my mom was always conscious and mindful of the kind of foods that we did eat so she would you right. wouldn't give us any of the the rubbish even though when my friends had the rubbish at school I would, you wanted um, it i wanted it <laughs> badly she would actually spend time <laughs> cooking for us and then making the proper <laughs> things uh but yeah I, I think there's like a lot of people out there don't know Really, the importance of proper nutrition. They're walking around, their guts are unhealthy, which also in yeah. turn affects your brain, which is what you were talking about before that vagus nerve. The, the, everything is pretty much connected in, in that respect. Uh, how can we simplify for a lot of people that are walking around that have no idea? Because they're probably thinking, you know, what's the difference between a Mars bar, because it's, it's still Perfect. food, compared to, say, like broccoli? The Mars bar mm-hmm. tastes better, right? Like how can we hammer right. it down and simplify right. it for, for people?
0: Sure. So I think the way we want to think about it is that processed, ultra-processed sort of junk foods, fast foods um, are not our friends. But once in a while, a Mars bar, whatever it is that, you know, you enjoy, no harm in that once in a while. But if that is what you subsist on, then it is affecting your brain. It's affecting your gut, it's affecting your waistline, it's affecting many things, and it's affecting your metabolic health. What does that mean? That if that's the diet you're eating, you are going to develop type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes. You're going to go down the pathway of metabolic syndrome because that's just, you know, our bodies cannot fend off eating that way. So if you're not eating any broccoli or any healthy foods at all, um, it's going to create an imbalance for you. So let's think about it this way. It's not that I expect you to think, oh, broccoli is better than a masala." What I'd like you to understand is that sugar, added and refined sugars, candy bars, cakes, pastries, um, the sugar actually impacts our brain. And it impacts our brain negatively. So, you know, moving towards options like a little uh, some blueberries, moving to options like a piece of orange, moving towards extra dark natural chocolate, which actually is rich in serotonin, magnesium, and other nutrients, including probiotic fiber. Oh. That's different. You know, you're eating a, a square of a small piece of dark chocolate that's natural is actually good for your brain. So as much as we can start to think that way, away from the cake and candy every day, the better we'll be. So if you we were to rethink our what I call a nutritional psychiatry plate, you really want to be plant-rich in that. The best veggies for you that are low-calorie and which you can spice up with flavoring and spices and so many good things are the sulfur rich veggies like the cauliflower, the broccoli, the cabbage, the Brussels sprouts, and the green beans. And then you want to think about leafy greens. All of these bring fiber to your gut and they nurture those gut microbes and they're great for you. So these are these are ways, you, you know, you have to kind of be innovative to make them delicious. And then think about clean sources of protein. Um, and when you think about a plate, right? Think about this for a second. You think each thing on the plate is separate and whole. Yep. It's not a mishmash of something that comes out of a jar or comes out of a box. And there's a slight difference there. Now It's really hard in our modern world to avoid a processed packaged food. But when we can, if we can just eat healthy whole foods, we'll, we will be significantly better off. And the hidden armor that we're not using are spices and herbs because spices and herbs basically are very low calorie, if no calorie, have no added salt, sugar, or seed, or, or preservatives. They can make everything delicious, including broccoli. So, it's it's we need to just to, to sort of pivot on that a little bit and start to think about those as better options for our body and brain.
2: Yeah, but Dr. naidu the sugary treats, the cookies and everything, they taste so good.
0: <laughs> you know, they do. And they actually feel good. And let me tell you why. So it turns out that because of brain science and what we understand about, say you eat a chipotle donut or a piece of cake or that sugary candy, whatever it is, there's a way in which there's a short-term impact, which makes you kind of feel nice. And it's because of some uh, you know chemicals that enter the brain and all that. But here's the thing. The short-term effect is short-lived. Over time, the very same thing is actually damaging the neurons or brain cells that you have and creating effects over time. And this has been shown in uh, imaging studies and MRIs. So, you know, I, I would love to say, oh, you know, go ahead and enjoy it. But, but, you know, unfortunately things that people call treats that do treat the brain. So if we can just flip that equation and say, Hey, I'm not saying you don't have cake on your birthday or that cupcake when you take your kids to a birthday party. But I am saying don't make that your everyday meal because, you know, ultimately it's not the food on your plate today or the scale the number on your scale tomorrow. It's what you're doing for most of the time that's going to matter. And I have, you know, a pull of nutritional psychiatry called the 80-20 rule. So 80% of the time, try for those tasty, healthy, whole foods. And 20% of the time life happens. You know, you may be on a road trip. You may be going through an airport and you have to get something that's not an ideal choice. But it doesn't matter because you're really making an effort the
2: rest of the time. What are some foods that we can use? Say, for example, someone is depressed and they're anxious. What are some foods that can help prevent us feeling more depressed and more anxious? Like some particular foods, like blueberries. I know. Uh, what are right. some other ones?
0: Right. So, omega three fatty acids from uh, fatty, uh, fatty fish like salmon and jubilee, sardines. They're good option. Um, if you don't eat seafood, then hemp seeds, black seeds, uh, chia seeds are for you. Um, one of my favorite spices: turmeric, a pinch of black pepper, added to soup, a super smoothie or tea—just a quarter teaspoon. Um, those can, you know, really start to help you with improving your mood and anxiety over time. Then it's those plant-rich foods, which which I love, and which I think are very easy for people to do. You know, our grandmas were not wrong when they said eat your vegetables, so so it turns out that they actually have more benefits to our brain than we realized. But through those gut microbes, you know, they nurture those gut microbes because they're rich in fiber. I'm talking about, the greener you know, the better, the different types of lettuces, the spinach, um, you know, the dandelion beans, the watercress, uh, whatever greens you get where, where you are eating. Most of you know, eat them because they're good for you and they're rich in folate. Now, folate is very important because low folate levels, vitamin B9, are associated with a low mood, and studies for several decades have shown that. So, eating those leafy greens becomes super important to building, say, a salad or a side dish. Um, then you know, uh, another one that you want to think about are just thinking about pre and probiotic fiber, yeah. and uh, you can get. Uh, you can get live active cultures in, in yogurt, so plain yogurt, um, or you can get fermented foods. Now, a study for summer of 2021 from Stanford University showed that um, inflammation is reduced when we eat uh, fermented foods. So mm-hmm. add in those, the kimchi, the kefir, the kombucha, miso. Whatever it is that you can have access to because those are great. those are just a few of the foods to get you started on. What I do in each chapter, this is your brain on food. And in some countries uh, like Australia, the UK, um, South Africa and India, it's called the Food Mood Connection. I break down the different conditions and the foods to eat and the foods to kind of cut back on food condition.
2: When you mention inflammation, is that inflammation in the brain predominantly or inflammation in the gut too?
0: That's a great question, Jay, because, because inflammation is actually, there are several types. There are two important types to think about. One is, it is acute, and that's when you uh, fall over and scrape your knee. Um, say you're playing soccer, and you know the, uh, the body rushes to heal that wound. And that inflammation is really a very important mainstay of how we function. But what I'm referring to here is the chronic insidious inflammation that gets set up by stress, by how we eat, and by other factors in our environment. So, you know, the uh, inflammation in the gut, because the gut and brain are connected, leads to inflammation in the brain. I like to say a happy gut is a happy mood. But an unhappy gut is usually sort of an inflamed or neuroinflammation in the brain, because we now understand that this process of inflammation is so um, so basic to causing conditions like depression, anxiety, cognitive disorders, and more.
2: Yeah. Do we should we use more medication to reduce the inflammation, or more food, or both?
0: So it depends on your situation. More and more in my practice, I really have to craft plans that are highly personalized for that individual. Some individuals need a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor and they can still be doing all of these nutritional uh, strategies to personalize nutritional psychiatry plan. Others may be functioning and doing okay, but feeling super anxious uh, or not sleeping well, especially during the pandemic. Um, and they feel they, they're functioning, but they need some extra help. And that's where food can also be hugely impactful.
2: What are some of your favorite culinary treats or delights that you often prepare?
0: So um, I love, so let's start with desserts because people love dessert. I love <laughs> extra dark chocolate. And a trick that I learned in culinary school is to pair that extra, extra dark natural chocolate with any kind of citrus fruit because there's something about, you know, citrus fruit rich in vitamin C um, and so many other nutrients, it's definitely great for you. Um, and dark chocolate, uh, definitely great for your brain. But there's something about that combination that until you taste it, it's really magical. It sounds simple, but uh, that's not it. And then the other thing I like is strawberries, right? Strawberries, uh, rich in so many uh, plant polyphenols and uh, great for your brain and body, rich in fiber. And dipped in extra dark natural chocolate, great combination. So, you know, something that I love love to make. But then in terms of everyday foods, I love things like chia pudding. Simple, mm-hmm. pretty much two ingredients. And I have the recipe in Chapter 11. And these are things I can prep on a Sunday for the whole week. So the thing about chia seeds is they're rich in protein and fiber, they have those short-chain omega-3 fatty acids and just a few, a little bit in a little um, a little jar. This little mason jar is so filling because they absorb, say, things like coconut milk and they swell up and they're very, very filling and they're nutritious. So I love that because it's small. I can carry it. I can even carry it on a plane because it gels up so it's solid. And I can have a little snack with me. Um, and it's filling. That's the biggest thing is it's something that I can add berries to nuts. Um, you know, uh, uh, sliced coconut that's, that's dehydrated without added sugar. So many things that I can do with that. And then I love my, uh, I love a salad. Uh, but I love making the salad as challenging as it and as diverse, different colors and textures and nuts and seeds and different types of greens as I can. And what I find is that when I make myself a hearty salad, I'm actually pretty full just from chewing it. You know, I'm chewing it. (laughs) Sometimes I'm working, I'll admit. You know, I'm eating my lunch, but but I'm actually satiated because it's filling and it's enjoyable. Um, And I love making things like... uh, a mason jar with my own vinaigrette like three ingredients and I use that for the week and I keep it in the fridge. Um so you know it's it's for me it's about making the week blue work week easy but in, including things that I enjoy to eat.
2: I'm personally a big fan of vanilla chia seed pudding. Mm, that I like that's delicious and then uh that you know the rice pudding and you can make it better, but you put chia seeds in it too. So it's like a double whammy. You can whammy. add
0: chia seeds. Yeah. And then um, add chia seeds that.
2: they have a chia seed uh, protein shake, but the protein yeah. that you get isn't from like whey protein or anything like that. Cause that mm. makes my gut upset. So I get mm-hmm. it from natural sources of protein. Like you got uh, chickpea protein mm-hmm. or you've you, you got a, um, a yogurt that's got protein <laughs> in it. Like it's a natural right. form. Which I like. <laughs> it's um, absolutely delicious, and and you put strawberries and everything in there too, and it's just like a whole combination of goodness. And then I love how you mentioned a hearty salad. Yeah, you feel a lot better after a hearty salad, and they can be rather filling. But I guess I wanted to ask you a few more questions, if that's okay with you, Doctor Nadu. Yeah. I'm really enjoying this conversation, learning a lot. Me too. Um, there. The idea of subscribing to many different diets, I mean, there's so many out there. I know one. It, it, someone should figure out the kind of diet that works for them, but what would you say to this question of choosing the right diet? Is there such a thing?
0: <laughs> you know, uh, I've thought about this question a lot and I feel that uh, my position on this is, is pretty... Uh, has really evolved over time. I don't feel there's a perfect diet. I feel that the diet has to be defined by the person because the gut microbiome is so unique. It's like a thumbprint. So the perfect diet for you, maybe even if we ate exactly the same things, may not be the best for me. And that's what I found clinically and the research backs that up. So although there are different voices, media, individuals, books, whatever it is, that... That proposes only one kind of diet. I would just ask you to see what works for you. But there's some guiding principles. You know, whole, whole healthy foods are the way to go. Um, plant-rich diet with biodiversity, colours, textures of different plants. My favourite fruit are berries. In mental health, because they lower glycemic, that still allow a person to have berries and different types. That make up for the fruit requirement because most Americans one in ten actually don't eat enough fruit and vegetables. Some basic these are basic pillars, right, of our health. Um, And then you know I'd like people to think about healthy fats. So leaning into avocado, into extra olive oil, um, into avocado oil um, are, are better for us. And then clean protein. So if you eat chicken, you know, if you can try to get an organic pasture chicken, if you eat eggs, you know, cage-free <coughs> eggs, if you eat beef, you know, grass-fed beef. So, and maybe you vegetarian, you know, uh, organic, non-GMO tofu, mm. chickpeas, you know, things that work for your diet. I'd much rather offer principles like that for people. Because in whatever you eat, you can find the best source of those foods. I hope you're okay. No, I'm <laughs> fine. I'm
2: so sorry. Feel, feel free to take a break. <laughs> I know yeah. you've been doing the majority do you, of the talking do you, here.
0: Do you edit it? Do you edit? I it do. Well?
2: Yes, it's it's all good. So no no need to worry about that. Um, so but yeah, feel free to take a, a little bit of a breather.
0: It's it's sort of also <laughs> allergy season here. Ah, oh dear. So that's the other thing.
2: I understand. That,
0: that's a, yeah. Thank you. So that's actually a really great question because. I almost want people to, like I said at the beginning, I, I want people, I want us to change our conversation and the relationship that we have with food. And really what I mean by that is, we in, certainly in the U.S., we have this eat this, not that mentality. Yeah. And there's either a diet war or food dilemma going on. And patients will come in and say, can I eat this? Can I eat that? I saw this documentary. I saw that on TV. I read this in in a in a, in a magazine. And I think that they end up very confused. So for me, the way forward is your personal way forward to your better mental health is what you eat, but improving what that is. Mm. If you wish to change your diet and become vegetarian, that's completely fine. Just get good sources of food you're eating. Maybe you are pescatarian and you want to start eating red meat. That's just make sure if you can, and it's within your budget, try to get those more organic grass fed meats because and here in the United States, I support regenerative farming. So I say to people, that's another way to get your meats from smaller farms um, and enjoy it. But you know, maybe you're pure vegetarian or maybe you're vegan and entirely plant-based, there are great sources of food for you too. Whatever it is, there are ways to tweak that to make it better for your mental health. And I, you know, I want to say Jay that I grew up. My childhood was spent uh, before I moved to the US to study. It was I grew up in South Africa, and South Africa at the time that I grew up was still in the kind of height of apartheid, and you know, people were uh, discredited and excluded and uh, from things because of their skin color. And I feel very strongly about um, excluding anything or anyone. So my food philosophy really comes from my roots. I don't want anyone to ever feel bad because of what they eat. If you eat a steak in front of me and I'm vegetarian, that's cool. That's what you eat. But I want you to have the best source of that and the best way to prepare that so it's good for your brain health. Mm. You know, so it's it's kind of my my feeling about being inclusive around food because I do think that it can be very divisive when people feel they can't eat a certain food and it's prohibited. And I'm not saying, you know, dairy is not for everyone. Gluten is not for everyone. Soy is not for everyone. But there are versions of all of those that other people can tolerate.
2: I totally agree with you. I have what they call the freedom diet. I'm, I, I don't <laughs> want to restrict <laughs> like any, any food really, but I'm predominantly eating a whole food healthy diet that works for me. Right. But it's like what I see a lot of the time and I've had conversations with people, like you you can drill down to the chemical of one particular food and you can say, this one's really, really bad for you. Don't eat it. I'm like, ah, right. oh. but life's meant to be enjoyed. Like, come on. I mean, you can't. Food is can't so much, much joy. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's meant to, it's there for a reason. Like if you, I mean, not overindulging in, in certain things, I think you've got to enjoy it. Like, so Yeah, I just don't subscribe to any of those debates or arguments that get really, really heated (laughs) for whatever reason. It's crazy. It's like different diets and politics. Mm -hmm. It's crazy how people can can go nuts over them.
0: Right, and you know, the reality is that if you truly study nutritional science, I can say to you, I mentioned omega-3 fatty acids earlier. A study from a very good group of researchers in December of 2021, um, showed that omega-3 fatty acids in a certain population were not helpful for depression. Now, I'll ask you the question, does that mean I will say to my patients tomorrow, you should never, well, not tomorrow, it's Sunday, um, uh, Monday, you should never, ever eat omega-3s and don't take a supplement for omega-3? No, because I've seen them be helpful but that research has nuances and it's important to integrate into my clinical knowledge and my research knowledge but it is not and this is the thing with nutritional science if you said to me should i eat something i said back yes you should there'll also be several studies i can quote that will 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 have the opposite data and the way that we can interpret that is we Read what's out there. We see what works. But we also personalize it to what you need. Yeah. And if you, know, if you have an issue with it, if you say, eat, eat that food and you don't feel well, then we switch it. It's, it's really, to me, not that complicated. I don't think we need to get into these heated debates and wars online and on Instagram or wherever it is, you know, about what everyone should be eating. It's really for individuals to decide. It's a human right. Really, it really is to decide what you eat. And I should not be telling you, you have to eat this only. But I will guide you to what's better for your mental health.
2: Absolutely. And also those debates, they're funny to watch too. (laughs) (laughs) They're entertaining. They're entertaining, interestingly (laughs) entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, I totally understand and agree with your line of thinking. It's very much in line with mine. Um, cause yeah, I was like very, very restrictive and that didn't work well for me and it just caused right. me more problems. So now I've just right. gone a diet that works for me. I'm happy with it. It keeps me happy, keeps the depression, the anxiety at bay. And you know, I'm enjoying life as a result. So, I mean, hopefully people that are listening to this can, uh, tag along <laughs> with yeah.
0: it uh, to what you're saying.
2: Yeah. But you're, you're. Your book's called "This Is Your Brain on Food." What was the most challenging part of you writing that book?
0: Great question. Um, two things. Uh, one was I wrote the introduction last, and that was where I made the decision eventually to share my personal story. And I wasn't sure initially that I wanted to do that, but after writing the whole book, it felt it felt like that was a missing piece. Of how the way that um, I came to understand my work through almost using it myself every day when I was in treatment for cancer
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, became the blueprint of what I did. So that was that was hard because it is a big decision to include include that type of personal detail. But I've, I've en- ended up feeling. And from the feedback I got, I feel like it was a powerful part of the book. And the other, believe it or not, was a recipe chapter. I agonized over how to make these recipes simple and easy to do for people so they would start eating healthy brain foods and testing and, you know, making, changing this and changing that. So I really agonized over that. But, you know, the, the good thing is I wanted the recipes to be simple because I uh, know that it's not easy to cook. It's not, it doesn't come naturally to everyone. And I wanted it to be approachable that someone could feel Look, I can get a salad, a soup, I can make a a frittata, I can cook something and I can get started with these. So part of chapter 11 is how do you set up your kitchen? These are the basic pieces of equipment you need. Um, That was, that was important for me because I wanted people to come on this journey of, of learning to cook.
2: Well, thank you for sharing your personal story a little bit. Are you cancer-free you. now?
0: I'm, I'm doing well now. Thank you.
2: I'm glad to hear that. My dad had um, kidney yeah. cancer recently in, in December, which is another reason why we're moving to Queensland, to have a stress, stress-free life. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, we we That's understand important. all that stuff. But, yeah, he's got to change his diet yeah. too. So maybe you, you can listen to this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we all do. None of us yeah. is perfect, mate. <laughs> <right>? It's like... <laughs>
2: But, yeah, I, I totally, totally understand the recipe side of things. I mean, I find cooking now for myself and, and even for the family and my friends rather therapeutic. It's strange it, yeah. how that how that works. But, yeah, I love it. But people can go and get a copy of your book. It's called This Is Your Brain on Food. I'll make sure everyone knows where to get a copy of it. They can find you a doctor who, um, and they okay. do. Uh, MD, I believe it is. Oh, no, not MD. It's,
0: it's- – Right, so it's umanaidomd.com is my website. And please subscribe to my newsletter where you'll get updates from me every week about the latest information and research in nutritional psychiatry. And on on Instagram and other social media handles, it's at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O, which is at Dr. Umanaidu. And uh, join me there. Send us a direct message or interact with us. We, We love hearing from people.
2: I'll make sure everyone knows where to get a copy of your book and where to find you. I love following you. Your, your work is you. fascinating and it's entertaining too. So I'm grateful for you sharing it. Uh, Dr. Uma. This is my final question for you. It's is my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your mm-hmm. friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask mm-hmm. me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic mm-hmm. for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life?
0: I think, yeah. I'd want, I wanted to show that my work actually impacted the mental health of humanity and that people truly learned something powerful about what they're doing every day which is eating meals preparing meals and how powerful that food is medicine message can be for their mental health and if it helps a few people in their mental health journey i would feel very blessed for um, the work that i'm
2: blessed today to be able to spend time with you but thank you so much for yes. your work your wisdom your yes. advice and your stories and for joining me today on the story box podcast
0: awesome it's great to talk to you
2: i really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story i just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today it is my prayer that you would have felt inspired Is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.
1: Hold up, what was that?